All right, so uh, the first question I have for you is, given the heated political climate that is currently in our country, I think some Christians, especially younger evangelicals, are hesitant to enter a discussion about politics. Uh, what would you say to a Christian who felt this way? Or, uh, to ask the question slightly differently, uh, why should Christians be involved in political discourse? Yeah, so you know, the past two years has been something like a mixture of a, a war, a carnival, and a Hollywood movie. It's been crazy, and you see a couple of types of extremes, and maybe some middle ground, but one of the extremes is sort of throwing up your hands and walking away in disgust, and you can understand why. And then another would be, I think, kind of an overheated political activism that almost inflates political activism or invests it with sort of a messianic uh, hopes. And that is uh, particularly dangerous, that's uh, idolatry, and it also tends to fail you so quickly that you end up in the first category again, deflated and ready to quit. And so there's, uh, so I think we're, we're aiming for something different than that, which is a, a sort of appropriate Christian involvement in, in a democratic republic. And um, I think we, we have to be involved. Um, the Bible talks about religion, true religion, often by, talk, by locating it in the human heart. So upwards of a thousand times, at least 800 times, the Bible uh, relates religion to the heart. But when it relates religion to the heart, it's not privatizing religion. So to say that something is heartfelt in biblical terms is to say that it's located in the innermost recesses of who we are, sort of affecting us in the depths of our being. And anytime something affects us in the depths of our being, it is going to affect us in the totality of who we are. So uh, if, our, if our religion truly is found in worship of uh, the God of Jesus Christ, that's going to radiate outward into our political engagement and our public life. If our true religion really is uh, sex or money or power or any other created thing that we've absolutized and given ultimacy, then that is what will radiate outward into our public life. And so the way we behave in public life the type of words that we say, our demeanor and our posture gives evidence of which God uh, rules on the throne of our hearts or, or which cocktail of gods, false gods. So if you see a person who fairly, fairly consistently comes unhinged in the public square, is willing to set aside uh, their Christian belief and uh, sort of operate with a demeanor they would never operate with in another environment, then you know for them and for many of us there, there's a cocktail of uh, sort of idols vying for the throne of the heart where, where Jesus uh, should reign uh, supremely. I forget if I answered all of your question or not, but sort of the thrust of it is, I guess, is this. Whatever is your religion will necessarily affect your public life. It will drive you into what, it will shape the way you do whatever political engagement you do. And if it doesn't, then it's not really your religion. So for me, it's not a matter of whether we should or not. It's, a, it's just the fact that it does, that we should recognize that and seek consciously for it to be Christ who shapes our engagement rather than some false god. Okay. Um, so this kind of gets to what you've already, already said, but maybe we can flesh okay. this out a little bit more, yeah. but maybe talk about how, to, how should we do, uh, display that when we're in those political discussions? That, or, or maybe like what would be the methodology for... Um, addressing political issues um, with, if you have um, Christ as your... Um, yeah. Yeah, you, in, in, yeah, so you sorry. know, the, the most important political gathering that we're involved in, hands down, is, uh, occurs once a week 
and it's on Sunday mornings. For those at the Summit Church, also uh, Saturday evenings. Uh, and the Catholics and the Jehovah's Witnesses also on Saturday evenings. It's a joke. Um, but uh, yeah, when the church gathers, that is a political assembly in the biblical sense of the word political, where we declare that our polis, our primary city, our primary place of citizenship, you know, is, the, is God's kingdom, even rather than an earthly kingdom. So we gather together and we declare that Jesus is Lord. We do it through the preached word. We do it through the Lord's Supper. Everything we do in a service should remind us that Jesus is Lord, and by implication that Caesar is not. That whatever false god that's vying for our acceptance is not Lord. And so what it does is it nourishes, if you will, our political identity in the biblical sense of the word political. It reminds us that we are primarily ambassadors of the king who will return one day and install a one-world government in a one-party system with him at the throne and us uh, as uh, you know, ruling with him and under him. Um, and so we'll, we declare that Jesus is Lord and, and that should characterize our political involvement. People should get the distinct sense that our ultimate allegiance is to the Lord, but the overflow of that is a good and healthy allegiance to our own nation, a type of allegiance that not only affirms, but critiques. And if you live in any, you know, if you're dealing with any earthly kingdom, you'll always be affirming and critiquing. The gospel is always, you know, in a Christian framework of thought, we'll always affirm what can be affirmed, but we'll always also be critiquing. So how do we do that? Um, I think uh, the concept of narrative is really helpful. You know, there are uh, different ways of showing the Bible's coherence. There's a systematic coherence to the Bible. There's also a narrative coherence, which I think is the most interesting type of coherence and the most helpful. And that narrative, <clears throat> we can call the biblical narrative, we can call the, the true story of the whole world. And it is that narrative that truly and really positions world events and explains them and explains world actors. It is not the MSNBC narrative. It is not the Fox News narrative. It is not the CNN narrative. It's not the BruceAsher.net narrative, a very little known uh, website. Um, none of those narratives is the biblical narrative. And so we show that that narrative is the overarching narrative. And the narratives put forth by the media outlets are bit players within that overarching narrative. So I mean, that, I think that's one thing we can do. Another thing we can do that shows our primary allegiance to the Lord is we can survey the political landscape for idols. Um, there's literal and metaphorical idolatry. You have literal idols where people make something with their hands and then call it a god and then worship it. But you have metaphorical idols, which are things that we, part of God's good created world, things that are good that we absolutize or give our ultimate commitment to. Those things become counterfeit gods or idols and we bow and give allegiance to them. And there's a couple of ways you can do, go on an idol excavation uh, trip if you want to across our political landscape. One would be to select perennial human idols, sexual pleasure, wealth, power, comfort, success, and, and then watch and look how those idols operate in shape in uh, political parties and politicians and political ideas. Another way of doing that is to take modern political ideologies and then trace their programs back and find their root idols. And I think that all of the modern political ideologies 
have an impulse toward a certain idol. Conservatism, progressivism, nationalism, socialism, libertarianism, all the isms. Even democracy can become democratism when we confuse or conflate the voice of the people with the voice of God. Vox populi, vox dei. And so idol excavation digs. And then um, I think the other way we can make clear that we're Christians is by reframing issues in light of Christ's work on our behalf and in light of a Christian framework. A Christian should necessarily view marriage and sex differently than other people, right? We know that it's a picture of Christ in His church. Nobody else by general revelation would know that. So we have at least that. Um, so, uh, you know, it should reframe the way we view sex. You know, some conservatives would... Let me mention how a Christian would, would view sex differently than a conservative who's not a Christian or a progressive who's not a Christian. So conservative who's not a Christian might, because of cultural heritage, be offended by, for example, gay sexual life patterns. And will possibly be kind about it or possibly not. Possibly will ridicule and demean. A progressive is going to be more likely in our nation at this point to embrace it in toto and say, hey, this is great. It's just like anything else. A Christian is going to come along and do neither. We're going to affirm healthy biblical teaching on sexuality, and that's where we might be similar to the conservative who's not a Christian. But we're also going to try to honor the other person and give them the human dignity that they deserve, uh, and, and at the same time, hopefully have the humility to recognize that even though we are saying, listen, your sexual life patterns are not healthy, and God says that we should not live in that manner, uh, we have to recognize that we also have life patterns that are sinful and unhealthy. So there's a humility there. Same thing on power. And a Christian who is cruciform or cross-centered in their political engagement is going to use whatever power they have, social, cultural, or political power, as a citizen or as an office holder, to decenter ourselves and to empower other people. We're going to have an impulse to do that, I think. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about um, how the Christians can engage okay. uh, in political discourse or how um, maybe some practical uh, mm -hmm. advice on how to like engage in social media because I think we mm -hmm. all experience a lot of yep. political discourse on social media. So maybe if you can give some tips on that, maybe talk yeah. about some, yeah. uh, some of those things. Yeah. You know, uh, social media, I mean, there's just something about it for some reason. So there's this thing that happens when people interact in politics for whatever reason, they become absolutely unhinged. They accuse people of the absolute worst motives. They divide the country into two camps, and everyone in the other camp is unfailingly bad in everything they've ever <coughs> said and done. We're willing to assign motives to people that we can't prove. We're willing to degrade and demean and mock. We're willing to cheer presidential candidates who build an entire campaign off of doing that type of thing. Then on the other hand, social media, people do the same thing. So politics is a topic in which people do that, and social media is a venue in which people do that. So when you talk about politics on social media, it's really nasty. It's awful. And what I want to do is I want to go and steal the cap locks key and the exclamation key from everybody's keyboard uh, it, it, as a way of just saying, listen, I'd like, we, we'd like to offer you a cold compress for your fevered brow. We'd like to suggest to you that just because you're on social media doesn't mean that you can lose your religion. In fact, you ought to be even more careful on it, suppose it's forwarded and shared and, and so forth. But, I, you know, I don't think we need to quit involvement on social media. I think it's a, it, it is a moment in which Christians could shine if we wanted to. 
in which we could determine by God's grace and by His Spirit that we will be people of truth and grace. I think it's Tim Keller who says, uh, truth without grace makes you a bully. And I think that's what most conservatives are. Often we tend to be that. So we're tempted to be. To shout people down and bully them with the truth. Grace without truth is, uh, is cowardice. And so we want truth and grace. We want to be strong on social media. Okay? But in being strong, we don't have to demean and degrade. We should never demean and degrade. We should, we should not mock. We can use humor, but we don't want to be humor that demeans. Um, and I think this is difficult to do. I found it difficult. I've got a pretty spotty track record on this stuff. Um, that when, when you're standing in the moment discussing important ideas that affect the entire nation, right, and someone misrepresents you and insults you and degrades you, it's very difficult not to do it back in return, isn't it? It's like first impulse. For me, it is. And so you have to do something to rebuild the filter, you know? For most of my life, I've had a fairly weak filter for that kind of thing, and I'm trying to rebuild it, you know? Rebuild the levees so the dam doesn't break when, when we're in the moment. But, you know, our political environment is so toxic right now. I mean, it's nasty. Nobody's off the hook. I think it's equal on the left and the right. It's two different types of toxic sometimes. And this is a moment for gospel Christians to cut a different wake. And I, I mean, if you do that, you're going to get insulted from both sides. You're going to, you're, you're, and people are going to, I'm just telling you, they're going to judge your motives. They're going to call you a wimp. They're going to call you a lot worse things than that. But we've got to cut our own wake here. You won't learn this from the radio talkers, I guarantee you. And you won't learn it from the cable news network people. You won't learn it from the politicians. And so we're just going to have to determine that, we'll, that we're in this thing together and, and uh, to speak with truth and, and grace. I'm going to flip some questions on you okay. that, uh, in the order that I've given you. But, um, but you were talking about, you know, uh, building up the dam, so, or building up the levee so the dam doesn't break. Um, you know, for, for me personally, I found that setting the end goal in, uh, for what the discussion is, not the immediate conversation I'm having with someone, but the ultimate goal is uh, for Christians in political discourse that we actually want the gospel to be presented and, and for Christ's kingdom to be exalted. Uh, what would you, uh, what are some ways that we can, or, or what would you say is the end goal? And just yeah. kind of uh, talk about that a little bit with, especially in social media, and then we'll go to the next question, which was outside of social media, where yeah. else can we engage? Yes, yeah, so, you know, I, I think it's probably fair to say that many Americans or most Americans have divided the world into two categories. There are two types of people in the world, those who see two types of people and those who don't. <laughs> but we've divided the world into two types of people, conservatives and progressives, and, uh, you know, and we've lined up in a camp and said our job is to crush the people on the other side of the aisle. And if politics were nothing but war, then that's what you would do. That is absolutely a terrible way to look at it. It's not a good way to look at politics. I mean, politics is war. That's one of the things. There's, it's, there's a battle going on, if you will. Um, but, and so under that paradigm, the ultimate goal is to win, right, and crush the competition. Our goal is something very different than that. Not that we wouldn't want our viewpoint to, to gain ascendance if, because what we're looking for what's best for the whole country. And, of course, we would want our view uh, to win. But our ultimate goals 
are not political victories in the sense of uh, earthly politics. Our ultimate goals, as I see, are witness, obedience, and preview. So witness is just that our actions are befitting people who have been saved by the shed blood of Christ, who are saved from our sin for newness of life. That's our goal, witness. And that's why more often than not, when we are speaking and acting in the public square, we're going to let people, we're going to put our cards on the table. Let them know that we're ambassadors of the king, right? Before we are citizens of the American kingdom. So we put our cards on the table. Um, uh, so witness. Obedience is second. That if Jesus is Lord, and He is, He's Lord over all, over every square inch, as they say. Um, if that's true, politics is part of it, and so we want to bring our political engagement under submission to the King. And then third is preview. If you've ever been watching a TV show, and uh, you know, in the spring, it's March, and you see a clip come on, 30 second or one minute clip, it's a preview of a movie that's going to be released in the summer, because almost all the good movies are released in the summer or at Christmas here in Marca. And so the, the preview comes on, and the producer and director have put in the top two or three moments of the entire movie. They might be the only good two or three moments in the movie, but they're all right there in that clip. And when you watch that clip, the goal is for you to be hooked, to wet your taste bud, to want that movie, and to go see it, and to buy horrendously outpriced popcorn in the summer, okay? Um, and what we are trying to do in our political interaction as Christians is for our interaction in public to be a preview of Christ's coming kingdom. When He comes, justice will finally roll down like the waters. And our world order will be characterized by love and peace and order and righteousness. And so our interactions now should wet people's taste buds for that banquet. Give them a preview of that, uh, that the end of the drama and how it, how it will unfold. So witness, obedience, and preview, those things are primary, and winning is not. And a way, of, a, a way of putting this is, you know, the only person who ever wins politically, really, is, is Jesus. <laughs> and we win because of Him. In the meantime, uh, when Jesus looked at the disciples and said, As the Father sent me, so I send you, He showed them the scars in His hands and on His side. And, and, and basically said, you're, you're, you should expect to have a cross-shaped pattern of interaction where the world hates you, where they look down on you. And I think that should make us willing to, in the political realm, to be sacrificial. If Jesus, the Supreme Lord of the universe, can be a homeless, itinerant preacher for the entirety of His ministry, then we can be homeless, so to speak, politically. And people on the left and the right can mock all they want to. Um, so sacrificial. Um, it means we should be a, a prophetic, that we should be ready to declare that Jesus is Lord and that all the other fake lords are not. It's not just fake news, it's also fake lords, but they're not Lord. Um, and then finally, it's, I think our, our interactions should be characterized by a humble confidence, and our confidence is this, the King will return. I mean, it's going to happen. But our humility is that we're not going to be the ones who bring the kingdom. We're not the king. And it's a really good combination, humble confidence. It's that truth and grace combination again. It's a powerful combination. 
and, uh, and, and so I think that's, that's our ultimate goal. All right, so um, as we already mentioned, social media is one place where we encounter that, or probably mm -hmm. the place where we encounter that the most, but where else uh, should Christians be stepping out and uh, getting involved in political discourse or mm -hmm. politics in general um, and, and trying to share Christ and his kingdom uh, uh, through their actions, where, where else can they go? And, and yeah, you, you know, when we think of politics, often we think at the national level. And so I would say, okay, that's one level. But I really think our, our most of our political and public life influence is going to be found and should be found at the local grassroots level. Uh, things are so nasty and vitriolic in our nation right now that what it's going to take to turn the tide back will be A, um, leaders, politicians, and elected people, and begowned lawyers in the Supreme Court to begin behaving in a way that is befitting civil servants who serve us, we the people. But on the other hand, it's also going to take citizens who are willing at a grassroots level to make things right. Racial unrest has been really bad in the past two years. And one of the things we ought to be doing is being in people's homes and making friendships with people who are different than us. You will never have the ability to understand ever until you have people into your home regularly and you are in their homes. It will never happen. Um, abortion. If we really, really believe what we say we believe, we're going to be giving dollars to clinics that help people uh, give babies up for adoption and help women, uh, clinics like First Choice and Pregnancy Solutions that Amber Lehman works with. Um, so local is important. I think our, just our conversations, the way we treat people in public, that we as believers should go out of our way to have a smile on our face, a friendly smile, um, and to extend a hand, to extend grace when grace can be extended, <coughs> and just for our general demeanor uh, to be something befitting the Lord. Social media, if I were you, I would have an active strategy on social media, not a passive one. And the active strategy is to make sure that several times a day, you put in a good word in the midst of a toxic discourse. A good word. And pray that the Lord will show you how to say those things wisely and in a good way. Um, it's my best thoughts right now. Okay. All right. Well, um, what about other people's thoughts? We know your work, uh, um, One Nation Under God, is mm -hmm. out there. What else would you recommend that, uh, since we're a library, we got to recommend books? Yeah. What would you recommend that they read? Um, yeah, let, let's recommend some books. Mm -hmm. um, one of the most helpful books I've ever read is called Political Visions and Illusions, a survey of and critique of contemporary ide political ideologies, written by David Coises. David Coises is a political scientist at Redeemer University College. Uh, this book, on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being a PhD-level book and 1 being a, a more of a, an Osteen sort of a text, I would, um, I would put Coises at about a seven, six or a seven. He's writing for an upper level bachelor student in political science or maybe an MDiv type student. And what he does is he unearths the idols underneath the ideologies. Really good stuff. About a 300 page book, I think. Uh, there's a book by Richard Mao. He's written several books on civility. He has a new one on civility that I would recommend. I forget the name of it. And civility is uh, the ability to speak the truth in a gracious way, befitting your conversation partner's human dignity. And it's a lesson that is sorely needed right now. Uh, so many other good books. I mean, Jamie Smith's got a book coming out soon called Awaiting the King. It'll be six or nine months from now. It's going to be a really good book. Uh, 
Richard Mao and Sanders Griffin, G-R-I-F-F-I-O-E-N, however you say that. It's got a book called Pluralisms and Horizons that deals with this question. How do you deal with plurality, manyness, people who are different, different than you in any number of ways, ideological, religious, racial? I think that's an important book. Um, so there's a few.